Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Thinking about munchkin cats. The ones that have... No, you're not talking about Scottish Folds. You're talking about the no, ones that no, are like no, really, really tiny that, that like have like the super normal, square legs. They have normal-sized bodies and short legs. It's your fault I'm thinking about them, because you just said that thing, and I'm like, like a munchkin cat. <laughs> And I was like, I didn't want to say that, but then I'm like, you just asked, so now I'm talking about it. <laughs> you know, what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give our listeners a little behind the the inside baseball behind the scenes thing. We were talking about comments and and stuff like that that people have made over the weekend, and uh, I got it was in a conversation with a couple of friends that uh, our heights were a topic of conversation. I am an incredibly short human being as far as all things are considered. Not not that short, but fairly short. I'm only five three. He's Wolverine uh, size. I'm Wolverine size. I am legitimately Wolverine size. Uh, and when they mentioned this, they're like, you don't sound like you're five foot three. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't understand what my voice has to do with it. So Daryl, Rob, I love you guys. But yeah, <laughs> but yes. But I'm when sh- he said that, when he, he said that, <laughs> he said that he was all torso, all torso, no legs. no legs. And that immediately me think of like this video I was watching the other day of just munching cats running at the camera, which is simultaneously adorable. And also like, you know, oh. Look at him try and run. So <laughs> yeah, I feel uh, I feel seen right now. But that's not what you're here for. You're here for us to go ahead and answer some of your wonderful questions, which we do. Actually no, no, have a they're few here on. for that. That's that's what they came for. They came for Munchkin Cat talk. That's the show now. By did I not tell you Munchkin Cat Watch? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I can be I can be on for that one. Uh, but if you do have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, please send them in. Uh, we're actually running fairly late on them right now. So go ahead and send them in. You can send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just specify what show it's for. If you're a Patreon supporter, go ahead and toss them into our Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. Again, specify the uh, the uh, podcast that it is for. Uh, and if you can't do the Discord Patreon and you don't feel like sending an email, but you do like using Discord, uh, you can toss them in our queue and pod, or I think it's just the queue questions channel. But we do look there for podcast questions. So just make sure that they are clearly uh, clearly stated where they're for. And also, if you have a special way to pronounce your name, please go, go ahead and include that. Many of you did, and I appreciate it. It makes my life a lot easier. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get started with our first question from our friend Riptides. Uh, replaying the Shadowlands intro experience, when you get to the Waystone to leave, it says it's not responding to us. It's responding to the champion. Have we ever gotten an answer yet to why the Waystone reacts to us, but not the others? Sorry if this was already answered and I missed it. I don't think we have answered it uh, because I don't know if we actually have an answer, Matt. There's no, no, nothing in game yet has said why the Waystone responded to us. The fact that we're going to Zareth Mortis, the fact that somehow Azeroth is involved in all of this shenanigans with Zareth Mortis, the fact that Zareth Mortis sounds like it's dead Azeroth mm-hmm. has me thinking, you know, there's a connection between Azeroth and the first ones and the Waygates. Um, but I don't know. So they, there hasn't been any explanation in game as of yet. Yeah, and I think I think Zareth Mortis is going to wind up being the sort of explanation for that. I think Matt's absolutely right because a lot of things in Shadowlands, just like the every other expansion, we are sort of like this magical MacGuffin almost, where things react to us or we can do things that other quote unquote you know powerful NPCs just can't. Uh, whether it's stuff within the you know Titan facilities. Uh, or dealing with Azerite, or powering up artifacts, uh, or doing things like that, dealing with, like, if you're a shaman, dealing with the elemental lords, like, it's not because you're a shaman, it's because you're the champion, you are the representative, you are the chosen one to do that, Uh, and it is sort of a classic trope. Um, But with Shadowlands, a lot of the first one's stuff tends to react to you as the champion, and yes, there are many champions, there are many Maw Walkers that are out there, and we've established this, we've talked about that a lot, and this all, all these items react to all of them. So there's something special about this particular class of creature or, or player or being that isn't present everywhere else. Now, this might have something to do with the relation of light and dark. This might have something to do with how we've interacted with a bunch of other things. One thing that came to mind, and I'm one, and I've been wondering if this would ever pay off or, or if there would ever be something more with it. And I thought about this as I was running through for Transmog, is when we're chasing Garrosh, when we're going through Siege of Orgrimmar, 
uh, it doesn't start in Orgrimmar. You actually start beneath the Veil of Eternal Blossoms because he's going in specifically to get the Heart of Yasharaj. There's an encounter before that where you are dealing with, I think it's Neuroshen, uh, I believe that's the name of him, where you are going through a cleansing process, uh, basically submitting yourself to this room that is a Titan, uh, Titan construct uh, or Titan machine that is drawing something out of you. And this is you, the players, you, the champions, that this is happening to, not the NPCs. Jaina and Anduin and, and Thrall, they're not there. They're not in that room with you. And as a matter of fact, they're making their way to Orgrimmar as you do this. And at the end of it, I'm wondering if that's something that leaves you changed because there's a lot of other things that we do, especially in Mists of Pandaria, now that I'm thinking about it, that could potentially alter us. When we're dealing with the the engine that uh, Elagon spawns from, uh, the giant star dragon, step onto the floor there. What happens? You get turned into essentially a constellar, or at least broken down in some weird cosmic atoms. And that's sort of a core component of that fight. How many times have we done something like that throughout the history of being adventurers on Azeroth? Has that changed us? Has that made us closer to the primordial form that was intended? Has that bound us closer to Azeroth itself? And then going back to the first ones and what Matt talked about, if Xerath Mortis, which sounds a lot like dead Azeroth, if there's a linkage there and we know that there's something between the material plane and uh, the Shadowlands, and we know that there's a specific desire from the Jailer to want Azeroth for some capacity, uh, there has to be a link there. Does that mean that we are closer to the first ones as a result of any changes that we have acquired? And I don't know if that makes any sense or if that, if you have any opinions on any of that, Matt. I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of possibilities, but I don't think we're going to get any certain answers until the raid at the very least, at the very earliest. And in fact, it's possible that we won't get them ever. You know, they, you know, we've had stuff, we've had stuff going back to like Elagon. You just mentioned Elagon going back to Algalon where an Algalon is like, you know, this is impossible. When we killed, uh, um, Argus, mm-hmm. we were told in the quest text, this was impossible. This thing you just did shouldn't have happened. And we now know that not only shouldn't it have happened, but it had a big effect on the Shadowlands. Uh, it was all the jailer's plans involved the death of, of Argus. He used Argus. We'll, we'll be, we know that that's going to be a part of the next, exp- uh, next patch. Uh, it's so <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff going on here that might show up, but might not. And we, we just have to wait and see. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get an answer to that soon. And I can guarantee you that we will be talking about this uh, as things get revealed or as we experience things. Uh, so we have another set of questions here. And this one comes from Severella, who is a Frost DK on Doomhammer. Uh, so there's a few here. Let's go ahead and uh, pick them as they were. Uh, we need to talk about Squirt. What do we know about her? Is she a secret evil in disguise or a pop culture reference that has just gone over my head? I actually don't know. Do you have an opinion on that one? I'm sorry. Do you do you know who Squirt is? Squirt the Cobalt. <laughs> uh, Squirt is the uh, I think it's the battle pet, right? The one that you can find in. She's the wandering trainer. Uh, she's the the little I, girl. I'm gonna be upfront, guys. I know nothing <laughs> about battle pets in this game. Nothing. I have never dabbled in it. I've never even looked at them. I you know, occasionally I get one when I'm doing old content and I put it up on the auction house at a really low price. It, that's it. I got nothing. Uh, so Squirt is one of those things that a lot of people have been kind of speculating on and talking about for a while because that nobody ever really remembers, but it's from Warlords of Draenor and Squirt has a ton of forms that they can take, uh, like a lot of forms, uh, one of them being in- surrounded by bloody mist at one point. Um, I it, it, The weird thing is it feels like almost like an Alice in Wonderland, like an American McGee Alice almost. Uh, inspired reference, and I don't know if that is entirely intentional. Um, but I know that there's been some weird stuff, like a headless model was data mined. I don't think they ever used the headless model. Um, but various colors of, of skin, outfit, uh, shoes, no shoes. So maybe Squirt could be a trans-dimensional being. Squirt could be an old god. We don't know. Uh, but as of right now... Doesn't uh, she mention that she's from Chaldeum? Does she? Yeah, um, I looked it up. And it says that she will talk about her hometown, Chaldeum, when you battle her. Her three pets are Deebs, uh, Diablo magic pet, Tyri, uh, Tyriel humanoid pet, and Puzzle, a treasure goblin. 
humanoid pet. Oh, okay, that's, interesting. That's what so, this thing says. So is she, when I so is she a prime evil? <laughs> I got no idea. I'm, I don't know squat about battle pets. I looked that up. Uh, I got you know. That's all I got for you. Yeah. So we we honestly don't know. Um, I kind of hope that at some point we'll see Squirt again because I think it would be absolutely fun. Uh, you know, and if she's from Chaldeum, the once proud, uh, once of the proudest cities of uh, Kazakhstan, uh, maybe maybe she'll be back in Diablo Four or Diablo Immortal. Maybe we'll see Squirt there. <laughs> uh, your second question uh, is a little more relevant, I think, to the first question we answered in the show uh, this week. In WoW, when did our PCs become enlisted members of our faction's military? I remember back in the day, we were either fairly independent or affiliated with a third-party organization, Paladins and later Death Knights, as examples. Uh, now a new character starts as part of a military expedition. Was this part of BFA? Kinda, but it's always been sort of like this weird... I don't want to say a tertiary thing. So ever since the vanilla days, you started as an adventurer, but you were always an adventurer working on behalf of your people. Uh, so like in particular, I remember the night elf starting starting experience was very, I'm going to be like the Sentinels. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to, you know, patrol. I'm going to uh, assist them with what they're doing. You're almost like an extra military personnel. You're not quite in the military. You don't necessarily have to follow the same instructions, but it tends to be in your best interest to assist them. Um, like I'm thinking about originally when we were hunting satyrs uh, in in vanilla WoW for them. If you want to like look at it too, um, look at all the call to action boards that they yeah. put up. It's always you know the you know so and so is looking for experienced adventurers to go to some place and do something. So it's almost like you're, you're a mercenary or an independent contractor. But whilst that is the case, you are working for your kingdoms. Like the, the people who put up that, that board that you answered and the people who had the quest that you took are usually like officials of the faction that you're in. And if they're not, they're officials of some other faction. Like if you, you know, if you go up to the plague lands and do stuff for the ardent, you know, the Argent Dawn, it's Argent Dawn people giving you orders. You're not a part of the Argent Dawn, but you're working with them and they respect you and you get more and more renowned with them till they really respect you. That's another way to look at it. You're like that with, you notice that you get renowned with your home city. Like if you're doing quests for Stormwind quest givers, you get Stormwind renown. Mm -hmm. It's no different than if you were working for the Cenarian Circle or the Argent Crusade or what have you. It's just you're doing that for Stormwind or for Ironforge or for Orgrimmar or for Thunderbluff or, you know, what have you. It, it's you don't you're not in the military, but you are working for them. And as a result, you report to them. That's that's the easiest way I can think to put it. It's very much like if like a mercenary from, you know, our actual history. You know, there were mercenary bands that would get hired to serve in armies and fight alongside them in battles, but they weren't in the army. They weren't a part of that army, but they were, you know, assist they were serving it. They were part of it in the it, they were part of it insofar as they were literally physically part of what army was marching. They were not in the alliance military. Yeah. That's another way to look at it. You're not you're not a member of the Horde army, but you are a member of the Horde and you are working with them. So mercenary is usually the way I look at it. And that's why most, I think that's kind of part of the fiction of the game with like guilds mm -hmm. is that you are in a mercenary guild. That's what the guild is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way to think of it. Guilds of adventurers are literally mercenary bands. It's, it, it's so you're kind of, again, it's like subcontracting. It very much is. And a lot of this is actually a holdover from like classic D and D tropes and classic movie tropes. Um, Honestly, one of the best things I can really give you if you want like a modern, I can even give you an anime example. There's an anime out there called Fairy Tale, and it's all about guilds that vie for, uh, you know, the juiciest contracts and, you know, the, the their reputation to increase their reputation. Because the better their reputation, the higher the ranking is, the higher the ranking is, the more lucrative contracts they get offered. And a lot of those contracts are generally from city, states or governments looking to outsource work. Um, and this is a classic trope. I mean, even in D&D, uh, &D, one of the original uh, books that like you could get for AD&D, &D, one of the first books that wasn't one of the core books was how to run a guild. There was like the Guildmaster's book. I still have it on my shelf. Um, 
and it was everything about contracting, you know, adventurers out, how to to you determine your worth and things like that because you are an independent organization. And it is also cheaper for these governments to contract out than to keep a standing military. I like using the alliance a lot as an example for this. A lot of those soldiers are conscripted. We've had entire conversations about how many of those footmen are actually just farmers that got taken off the farm. They're not part of a standing military. They're not even technically part of a militia. They're just literally brought in because they need bodies at that point, and they're being you know outfitted and trained and thrown out. It's cheaper to keep sets of armor and weapons around than it is to keep a standing army fed, uh, clothed, and sheltered for extended periods of time. And so when you really need heavy hitters and conscripting doesn't work, you go to the guilds, you go to these adventures, you go to these these citizens uh, that are doing this already, these mercenaries, as Matt is pointing out, that are feeding, clothing, and buying their own stuff because they're taking contracts throughout the world and the government doesn't have to pay them a standing wage all the time. And that's when you start to see them start to pull in. As you gain that renown, you go from basically being, you know, some lowly guy or, or gal or or other uh, shoveling poop for this farmer that lost hands or can't do it anymore to being a peer with these great names of renown like Jaina and Bolvar and Thrall and Bane because you've earned that reputation. Uh, and that's also one of the things that I always like, and I love that Matt brought this up because people always used to complain about why do I have to earn rep? That's kind of what you're doing. Your reputation is sort of your commodity value in Azeroth. Right. It gives you access to more items from vendors because they're like, yeah, we can trust you. You've done a lot for us. We're going to go ahead and we'll do more work for you or your discounts used to increase based off. But I don't know if it still does. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to vendor stuff anymore. Uh, Apologies. I'm pretty sure the discount thing is still there. Yeah. But the higher your reputation was, the greater your discount was. Uh, It was the same thing with the guild perks back in the day. One of them was vendor discounts in your home cities uh, based off of your guild's level and reputation. Uh, these, These are all sort of tying into that. And there are certain moments where in the story, you're not just part of the military. You're being sought after to help lead. Battle for Azeroth was really the biggest part of this because you're being sought after to help lead the faction because they're conscripting so many soldiers from both sides, so many commoners, that they need, one, somebody who they can rally behind, which you being the champion or a champion of whatever you're a part of, uh, with that huge level of renown, a commoner is going to have heard your name potentially. They're going to know who you are. They're going to know of your deeds. Um we talk, uh, sometimes we go on tangents about like the skulls and, and things like that back in the day. Bards were important and they were important because they would carry information and tales and stories. And if somebody was of a high enough renown or paid the bard enough coin to tell was they're wandering stories of these people's exploits, when those people came to town, people had heard of them and they were more likely to find work or they were more likely to find a place to sleep and eat. Uh, or discounts on things, or you know, somebody would buy them drinks. These are all very common things, and that's literally what the reputation system is representing in World of Warcraft, and that's part of the story. So when Battle for Azeroth rolls around and they're looking for, hey, we only have so many generals, and we're conscripting so many troops that we can't possibly train everybody to take care of it, we're going to lose unless we have people that A, are knowledgeable, and B, they'll look up to. So I'm going to go ahead and hire this guild. I'm going to go ahead and hire this champion and conscript them or pay them or entice them to actually assist. I'm going to just point out, this is something that still happens in real life. It does. There are companies right now that are effectively working for various governments as independent contractors in in warfare. Um, Look up Academy with an I at the end instead of a Y. Uh, It used to be known as Blackwater. Uh, This is just one of many such companies that they, they... work private security for the for militaries and for state departments and for other government agencies they work for the cia they work for all sorts of companies and other nations have them too Mm -hmm. uh it's not just you know there's 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 dozens of them hundreds of them and they are effectively what you are except the difference is we don't actually have big giant dragons wandering around and if we do you know you don't really need to know about it uh but regardless 
it's just it's a different thing only because the world it's happening in is different but it's still basically the same concept you go out and you hire this company to do the thing for you you get these people who already have lots of experience and who aren't on your payroll so you just pay them for this one task Mm -hmm. so you don't have to keep them you don't have to it's it's win-win for both parties it's it's win-win for the the contractor because they don't have to take a job if they don't want to and it's win-win for the the government because it gets people who can they know can do the job but they don't have to keep them up all the time. So yeah, there, there's a lot of reasons why this would work. Um, and why you're not actually technically part of the military. Yeah, you're just part of the expedition. You show up and you, you do this particular thing. You're, you're requested to help with it. You know, it's that whole thing. You do the quest, you get the gold for the reward, for the reward and uh, all that stuff. And it, it is very much a situation where you show up, you do your job and then you leave, you know, it, it is, you are not then reporting to Colonel so-and-so for your next assignment. You don't have to take another assignment from them if you don't want to. Uh, it is down to everybody knows who you are. They know what you can do. You're a known factor. That's why you're recruited. Yeah. And that's will that change in the future? Probably not because you as an independent contractor works the best for everybody. Uh, but you do have one more question here, and we're going to go ahead and move on to that one. Uh, your last question is, what expansion do you think makes for the best leveling experience for a new or returning player? I've just come back and leveled through BFA, but I didn't get much from the story. As Alliance, I saw nothing of Sylvanas or the attack on Darnassus before I hit 48, and the BFA threads I was following didn't reach a conclusion. Do you think Shadowlands will make a good first impression when the next expansion launches, or should another route be default? Do you have any opinions on that, Matt? I think that Shadowlands just should become another one to max level experience and they should all be adjusted up to the next, like to level 60 and the new expansion should be level 60 or whatever. Um, I, I, I think it should just be part of the rotation and you should be able to play in any of them because I just think you should. I mean, I, I don't think you should always have to, like to make Shadowlands the default one that people level through. So they understand what the heck they're doing in the new expansion. But if that's necessary, but I'd love it if the next expansion didn't require me to know anything about Shadowlands to play it. Like, I'd love to be able to start the new, the next expansion. I would love it if the next expansion was a one to whatever max level is experience. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to go back to any of them. Like, I could just start in the next expansion. That would be great. I feel like they've got a lot of potential with that leveling change they made for Shadowlands and that they should really use it. Um, they yeah. should make it flexible and they should really let people level in whatever expansion they want. I think the problem is... We can probably, you know, this might actually be a good topic for the Tuesday show. That's true. But lore wise, if you're looking for yeah. what I think what the best story would be, um, I don't know if, how Shadowlands is going to feel as a, as a leveling expansion. Like if it becomes a one to 60 expansion, instead of just everything's one to 50, except Shadowlands, which is 50 to 60. And then the next expansion is 60 to whatever, if that's how they do it. I don't know. I don't, I have no idea how Shadowlands will feel if you're going one to 60 in it instead of 50 to 60 in it, I think it will feel really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, it doesn't feel like an, the story in, in Shadowlands is, is not flexible at all in terms of what zones you go to. That's it's rigid on those. Like you go from here, you go from like the Maw to Oribos to Bastion to um, Ardenweald, Maldraxxus to Ardenweald. It's Maldraxxus before Ardenweald. I'm pretty Ma- sure. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. correct. To Maldraxxus, to Ardenweald, and finally you go to Revendreth. And it's going to feel strange compared to places like uh, like Outland or or Draenor or you know Legion itself, where you can kind of pick and choose where you go. So I, I don't know. I've I don't I don't know how it will feel as a story to be like a level one noob. If you like, imagine seriously, if you're level one and your first job is to go to hell. And and find like all these powerful people and fight alongside these death knights and try and get you know and only you escape the maw at the end. Everybody else stays there, but but at this point, I guess you'd be level fifteen. Guy gets to Orbos and is like, you know, we have to rally. It's like that's a lot to put on level fifteen guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you'd be level ten when you start because you would finish you'd finish Exile's Reach and then they they, they make you go to the maw. That's kind of a that's a big ask. Hi, you've learned the basics of World of Warcraft. Would you like to go to hell? 
Uh, yeah, that's it, that's a that's a big ask. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about this, the more I think about it, the more I think that this is not the best idea for for Jimmy, Jimmy of Northridge, who's like, um, I just learned how to swing this sword. As well, the king has been kidnapped and dragged into an, an into an eerie <laughs> netherworld. You're going through. This is Darian Mograine, who used to be he was the son of the Ashbringer. He will be taking you with him. <laughs> oh, first Toronto Whisperwind. You remember her? <laughs> no, I don't know who any of these people are. Oh, I just you know, the more I think about it, the funnier it is. Like, hello, me am Grog. Me peon. Me just learn how to use axe on boat trip. Now me find the war chiefs. There's like a war chief in there. They're just like man, I just, that is a lot to ask poor Throg. I just I'm just saying. Yeah, I there... was killing some quillbores, but now I feel like I can go. I can go to the mall and, and confront soul golems. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the next step after after quillbore, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. That that works. <laughs> That that that's sort of the quintessential problem with the leveling experience is there is a slight disconnect between story that you can absorb and the actual mechanics of leveling because the leveling is purely to get you to the current content. Really, at this point, even when you choose an expansion to level in, while it's great to relive some of the earlier moments, and I'm experiencing this myself right now. Uh, I mentioned before, and I think I might have mentioned this on the regular podcast, the the normal the Tuesday podcast that I started playing a Dark Iron Dwarf because I hadn't experienced Warlords of Draenor as Alliance in a very long time. And it is a very different story, especially from the starting zone. Um, and so getting a refresher on it was kind of important. But I also am going in with the understanding that the later stuff, like going to Argus and, and like, or not even not going to Argus, but like anything that involves anything later with the, uh, the Warlords of Draenor expansion Tanan jungle stuff, uh, the Hellfire Citadel stuff, I'm not going to get to because by the time I'm ready to do that, I'm going to be appropriate level to move into current content. And that's where the game kind of pushes you. Matt and I talked about this a while ago and we had this wild idea that there should be some form of story recap that players can opt into. And because not every player cares about the story, right? Some of them just don't. Some of the, some folks play just to play, but if you really care about the story, there should be something like uh, one of the the like Lorewalker Cho or something like that that sits down and plays through a scenario that tells you the story. You have a little bit about that in Ardenweld with the play, but it's not the same, right? It's you're not experiencing it. You're kind of running through like this two minute clip version of these major story events. Um, so I don't know. I would like to see them maybe provide something for that. Not that I don't want people to listen to our podcast and get their, their story from day one of, of vanilla Warcraft all the way to current. Cause I mean, listen, it's fun. You want to listen to us, right? Uh, but I also want people to be able to experience that in game and kind of have a better idea of what's going on so that when they are jumping large swaths of time, cause that's what this is they have a better idea of what the story is moving forward. So they're not just completely lost as far as self-contained stories. I actually think Shadowlands potentially has the best capability of telling a story because of how the campaign is broken up while you level from one to, or from 10 to 48 or whatever, or 10 to 50 or whatever it'll wind up being uh, before the, the current content of the next expansion is because of how those milestones work. Like we got through chapter one of the, you go through the basic story and that's right. It's very rigid in how it tells the story when you first go in, but then you start the order hall campaign stuff. Essentially you start the, the uh, covenant story stuff. And depending on how they do the leveling for it, that can represent another further vehicle to continue your leveling experience from that 10 to 60 or whatever it winds up being. So there's and then when it ends, if it if they time it right, they can end it at one of the chapter breaks. Not that it'll tell a complete story, but it tells a story with an ending because each of those story breaks is an ending of that chapter of the story. The other stuff adds to it, but not having the other stuff doesn't take away of what came first, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's my thoughts on it. So I, I but I think every single other expansion 
is going to suffer from the leveling experience because of how quickly they want to move you into. So they need to find some way to address that for story for people that aren't want to experience or know the story in game. Anything else to add to that? I'm still feeling like, you know, the adventures of Jeffy, <laughs> Jeffy Simons, who's, you know, signed up because he wanted to see the world. And next thing he knew, he was seeing a completely different world. Like right around the time Jeffy hit level 30 and he's sitting in Arden world with a talking squirrel on his head. He's just broken inside. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't meant for this. I just, I just wanted to fight some centaurs in, in, <laughs> in, 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 in that place. Nigel's point. Desolus. I was going to fight some centaurs and Desolus. I'm sure you were, buddy, says the talking squirrel spirit on his head. I'm sure you were. So yeah, that's just, that's, that's in my head now. Thanks. That's leveling in Shadowlands. One to, one to 60 in Shadowlands. How fast will your character break? Indeed. Any uh, percent psychosis speedrun is what I'm hearing. Uh, the next question we have is from Bellic of Dragonblight. Uh, in a recent blue post, they refer to Malganus as debatably the most well-known demon in all of Warcraft lore. But that got me thinking. In 9.1, we learned that the Dreadlords were the creations of Sire Denathrius in the Shadowlands. I always assumed that demons came from the Twisty Nether. Are they actually demons? What makes a demon a demon? Matt? Oh, no, no. You picked this. You have to answer it first. I honestly don't know. This is something we've talked about a lot because. Yeah, look, look, let's be upfront. This is one of the things that bugs me the most about the whole Sire Denathrius revelation. As much yeah. as I like it, it does mean that technically speaking, the Dreadlords aren't demons, but they were such a big part of the Legion. Mm -hmm. They were so involved in all that stuff. It's really hard to start, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just like, what do you call them? Do you just call them dreadlords? Nathrazim? Do you never use the word demon again in relating to them? I mean, they were working for the Burning Legion. They were doing Sargeras's direct bidding. We saw what they were doing to, uh, oh, bloody heck, the one from Undercity. Varimathras. Varimathras, thank you. We saw what they were doing to Varimathras in, uh, in Antorus. So you know, it's possible that Sargeras himself was starting to figure it out, uh, and that's why he had Verimathras in his, you know, his big dungeon being tortured because he was like, "I want to know what's going on with you. Why are you? What are you guys really up to? You know, that that could be what was happening there." So I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there might be something here that might not negate the other stuff. So. I remember the original description of a demon was a creature whose soul has been bound to the twisting nether and as such returns to that plane upon death. And this is back when the twisting nether was a plane of existence, not an all encompassing thing. We still really don't know what happens when we kill a dreadlord aside from Verimothris going to the soul engine, essentially on Argus. We don't know if he passed through the Shadowlands. We actually have no indication on that. We know that they can move between the Shadowlands and the regular world fairly freely because Malganus has done that. Uh, but we don't know if they actually pass there when they die or if they have functionally been bound to whatever the engine was of Argus. Because remember, all demons went there. And that was a huge plot point. All demons went to that engine to be re-educated, to be reprocessed painfully back into existence. They were bound to Sargeras in this manner. So, and that's really weird because before, before Sargeras became corrupted, demons would be reborn into the tw twisting nether without the, the soul engine. Uh huh. So we don't really know why the soul engine is there. It's like if if it's there because Sargeras is using it in some way and for that matter doesn't what's I, this is kind of spoilers for 9.2 but that whole thing with the soul engine and Antorus looks an awful lot like what we're going to see in Zareth Mortis really does you know is that partially why Sargeras was obsessed with Azeroth or was that because the Dreadlords were convincing him to build in such a manner because of that. And we're going to use his obsession with Azeroth to complete those plans, especially with it looking very similar to the engine at Xerath Mortis and the jailer's apparent desire for 
Azeroth soul as either a power source or something. Is this all interrelated? Is this all part of the same plan, different stages of fail-saves? There might be something there. But I think we're going to find out more. And I, and this it feels like a cop-out, and I apologize. But, like, Xerath Mortis is going to be a very revealing place. Like, the story beats that are going to be unveiled there are going to answer a lot of these particular questions because I have a feeling we're going to learn a little bit more about the Dreadlords and how they escape in and out, how they die, how they're reborn, because that's sort of relevant here. And to that effect, we know that there are are vehicles that exist in the Shadowlands to send souls back to the Prime Material Plane because if if you are part of the Covenant of the Ardenweld, you literally are tending souls to do that. The Queen's Conservatory is built specifically to that. There is a grove uh, of reawakening that sends things back that aren't necessarily part of the Queen's Conservatory, but does the same function. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what the Drust were were trying to take over and use to bring themselves back into life because they're dead and they need another way to get back, quote unquote, home. There's a lot here that could potentially mean... It, or that we could potentially look at, like, is Ardenwald the only place that you can do that from? Or is it just the most convenient or most well-known? Do the Dreadlords have a way that they've been processing themselves? Is there something in Revendreth we don't know about? Don't forget, a large section of Revendreth is just, like, just in shambles and ruins. Your Order Hall base, uh, for lack of a better term, your Covenant base, is, like, this deep, vast, like, chamber tower spire thing of of doorways that lead you to different places but like why is that there why is it where it is is there something else going on down there in that structure uh is there somewhere that we can get to that or that they can get to that we don't know about and it would stand to reason that sire denathrius's first creations that the nathrazine would know every hidden pathway through revendreth that would know every secret of its origin because Denathrius knew it. And also because they sort of hoard knowledge, right? That that's one of their character flaws that we've been told for years and years and years of why they make such great spies is because they literally just collect everything. Like any sort of arcane knowledge, any sort of void knowledge that they can get their hands on, they gather. So that's a, I think we're going to find out a little bit more about that. And I kind of hope that we discover that like there's this huge back door out of the Shadowlands that just nobody ever considered or what he thought of. Because now that I'm thinking about it, like even Bastion, like the Kyrian can go back to the material plane to gather souls. Like they can show up there. They can go and grab things. I think the only one that possibly doesn't have somebody that they've indicated very openly can move between uh, planes of existence is Maldraxxus. And even that's questionable because of the liches. Right, like we know that that's what Kelthazad was working on, at least to a certain point. Could he have found a way to travel back? Could they? Is there something there that lets him circumvent the normal rebirth cycle to go back to uh, the the plane of life, for lack of a better term? I don't know, but we'll find out in the future. I think, and I think we're going to find out probably sooner rather than anything else to add to that one before we move on to our last question. I think it's interesting to consider the concept of <clears throat> what is a demon. Yeah, I mean, because if you think about it. The Eridar are from Argus. They were mortal beings. Uh, and they made the deal with Sargeras. Obviously, Argus has been pulled kind of halfway into the nether. Um, and the, the Eridar all appear to be demonic now. But they weren't originally part of the Twisting Nether. They weren't originally uh, beings that are made of fell. They're just they're demons by association, ultimately. So is that is it the same with the Nathrazim? The Nathrazim are demons because they've been so long associated with the Burning Legion that they just count. They're just part of the group now. Or if they, you know, now that we know they're not, like, they're not part, they're, they're secretly working for the Nathrazim the whole time. They're not loyal to the Legion. They've just mm-hmm. been using it. Does that mean that they've, they don't really count as demons? That's an interesting question. I mean, demons betray each other all the time. So this would just be one more betrayal. Uh, and not even an out of place yeah. one. Like it just this one was like yeah. it was interesting, but definitely not unexpected. <laughs> yeah, from the moment we saw Denathrius, we, we started thinking, wait a minute. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, I remember that. Oh God, can you believe it's been two years since we did that? Anyway, um, but I think we're gonna move on to our last question here, which is from uh, Halleck, uh, who told me to pronounce his name like Alec, as in Alec Trebek, but with an H. So there you go. 
Uh, Wait a so- minute. A- Alec Trebek? <laughs> yeah, I know, instead of yeah. Alex Trebek. <laughs> uh, but recently there has been a lot of supposed, quote-unquote, leaks about the next expansion being a Dragon Isles-themed expansion. In the past, Blizzard had previously included things in the current expansion that hinted towards the next expansion. Are there th- currently things in the game that would hint towards a Dragon Isle expansion? Personally, I feel like we've seen more hints towards an Army of the Light versus Void expansion. Yes, no, and maybe all at once. So Blizzard hides hints to expansions sometimes years in advance. Yes, there are sometimes hints in the current expansion, but more often than not, we're looking two, three, sometimes even further back for things to, to sort of key off of. Like the Legion expansion. There were hints, there were hints in Legion of Shadowlands. There was, yes. Yeah, like we, we were talking at the time about how it was clear that uh, Bolvar was like was making plans and we knew Sylvanas's whole deal with Helia and all that. That was all part of, of Legion. So it's that was two expansions ago. But and, then you know, you know, there's there's always some expansions go back even further. Like you know, there's, there's stuff, there's story hooks from cataclysm that play out from time to time. So yeah, it's, it is to Jeff's uh, Jeff. Sorry. I'm still thinking about poor Jeff. Um, <laughs> but no, Joe is correct. In that. And if we want to go with the dragon, Isle thing, the reason that people are latching onto this is, is multiple fold. And I, and I can understand why, because even, even I can see the pattern, like trying to lead that direction. One of the biggest loose threads that we have had ever in World of Warcraft is Rathion and everything surrounding him because there's a lot of story tied around him. He's one of the only two uncorrupted black dragons that exist currently, right? He it's him and his brother uh Ebonblade Ebonblade? Ebon Why can I not oh, Eben, I know the one Ebonhorn, excuse me. Yeah, Ebonhorn. Wow. It's been a while folks, sorry. Uh so they're the only two black dragons that are not corrupted that we know of. He's been obsessed with finding everything he can about dragons in general since he's been born. Is this because, again, he's he's taking on the role of essentially the Earth Warder, which no longer exists. They were the protectors of the deep places. They were supposed to be the protectors of all the secrets hidden in the Earth. What if those secrets also contained other groves or clutches of eggs? And I say that because I'm starting to, th- you can start looking at like things like look at uh dragon blight, look at the temple, right? Look at Wormrest temple. When you went to their areas, when you went to where their clutches were, there were portals hidden underground at the bottom of the temple that literally you had to travel through a fissure in the ice and snow and ground to get to that took you to someplace else. We know that the red dragon flight has multiple veils and places where they would lay their eggs and raise their young. We've experienced that. And now we have all of this potential buildup between the Emerald Dragonflight, the Red Dragonflight, possibly the rekindling of the Black Dragonflight, the Bronze Dragonflight still being sort of unfinished, as it were, because they know, quote-unquote, their fate, but can it be changed? And then you have the Blue Dragonflight, which has been in shambles since Northrend. Since Wrath of the Lich King, it has been on the back foot. Finding a way to reignite them, which after the events of Cataclysm and the reignition of the Dragon Soul in order to defeat Deathwing, finding something that reignites the Dragon Flights that brings them back into some form of importance has been at the forefront of a lot of characters' minds in the game, and there's been tons of hints about it. The last time we see Rathion at the end of Battle for Azeroth, after he helps us defeat an old god, he's essentially doing the thing his father was supposed to do and didn't, or couldn't, that he got corrupted before he could accomplish. Now he's got all of his aunties out there that he needs to help, and he's got his uncles that he needs to help, and we know that he's been looking for the Dragon Isle. He's been looking for it since Mists, since sitting inside of the, the tavern in the Mists, talking with Andu and talking with his two uh, lieutenants or his, his trustworthy, uh, whatever they're, I forgot their names. Uh, but even they were looking for that information for him. Why? Why is that so important? And they wouldn't be leaving breadcrumbs about that for so long if it wasn't something that they eventually intended to do. Whether or not that is the next expansion is a very good question. But when you start looking at everything that happened with Ysera in this one, 
and dealing with her daughter and dealing with the aftermath of that and how Shadowlands will absolutely have an impact on the Emerald Dream, it would make sense that tying up some of those loose ends could potentially be the next one. And as soon as somebody sees something uh, trademarked or, or data mined for it, of course they're going to jump on it. But at least in this case, unlike other ones, there's a long-running thread that could potentially support Matt, what do you think? I think that we're going to see... I would like to see what Rathion's revelations when he consumed the uh, the heart of Li Shen, what they have to do with what we're going to find out in patch 9.2. And that's something that I, that's one of the reasons I think the Dragon Isles are a possibility for the next expansion, because it makes sense to follow up on that thread, but it doesn't have to be that they could do something completely different. We'll find out when we get there. There is also something that we want to point out too, that a lot of times they will trademark things years in advance. Like Shadowlands was, Trademark, I want to say back during Wrath. It was a while. I don't remember, but it's been a while. It was several, several years before uh, we saw Shadowlands ever come to fruition. And we're talking like a long time. And with them doing that, with them trademarking, stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily indicate how quickly they're going to move on. I will say that we have been told, and I do believe this, that Steve Denauser and team have a plan, that they know where they want the story to go, that they know where things are going to go, and I know that they are already working on that. They're not just staying in the current yeah. expansion, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen that, we've heard that during interviews, that they're already working yeah. on the next stuff. That's That's been so their, their modus operandi for the past several expansions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're almost not only are they already working on the next expansion, they are already in the process of working on the expansion after it. They're not like actually working on it yet, but they're setting up what they're going to do. They already know what the expansion after the next expansion is going to be. Uh, that's just how they work. So whatever they're going to do, we'll find out. But it, it, it's definitely a case where they, they lay in the breadcrumbs beforehand and there's breadcrumbs for multiple things that are sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah, and and like some of the other ones that have been hidden in plain sight, like uh, years ago when before Legion released and they had the comics, they had the comics that were coming out beforehand, and we saw old grizzled uh, Anduin with Velen uh, basically getting in their spaceship and going on a galactic crusade. Uh, I declared that we were going to Argus. I even made some really terrible meme art about getting losers were going to Argus. And we wound up going there because they they wore that on their sleeve. They flat out told us we were going there. We just didn't get there the way the comic told us. It, uh, although that could still come to fruition, we could still be going back to Argus. There could still be stuff there for us to get to because Anduin's not quite old. And we have no idea what he's been doing, but that's a whole other story. Um, but that I guess that would be a, a really great, uh, I was going to say great, a good segue. There are other loose ends that could potentially come up as other expansion stuff, too. You bring up light versus dark. That's a theme that's been going on since Warcraft Orcs versus Humans. Let's be honest with that. It was oh, it was light and dark, good and evil. Uh, back then, it was God versus Satan. Uh, there were some themes of that as, as well, uh, because the light was very heavily uh, Christian-based beforehand. Uh, there was an actual God pantheon type thing, which eventually diverged into the light and the Titans as two separate entities. Uh but this has been a theme throughout, right? And then evil became darkness and void, and then fell and void uh, as two opposite ends of the uh, alignment spectrum, I guess you would say. Could there be something there? Yes. But we also just recently essentially had that at least a little bit uh, when we started dealing with uh, Argus and started dealing with the fallout from that. Uh, And now we have Void Elves, which... It would be an interesting payoff to have something with the Void so soon, especially after Battle for Azeroth when we just dealt with Nizoth, which, don't forget, is a servant or supposedly a servant of the Void Lords, it's supposed to be here in order to corrupt on their behalf. So could we see more of Army of Light or Light versus Void theme? Maybe. Those are loose ends that we haven't tied up yet. We don't know what happened with other Draenor. We don't know what their situation is. We've speculated that... If our version of the the Draenei had access to crystal ships that could travel through time and space, then there's a good guess that the warlords of Draenor Draenei would potentially have access to the same things given a period of time to discover them and learn how to use them. Because we already know they had some of the same places, right? 
so maybe we could see them pop up. And we've talked about that. We actually have an episode, and you can go back and listen to it, where we talked about what an expansion of the uh, Army of Light as the main villain or main uh, source of conflict would look like. And we talk about why that would make sense and why there's sort of threads there. Light versus Void, we see that throw, woven out through everything. Again, the Shadowlands, go to Bastion, play through the Bastion uh, storyline. There's an entire section dedicated to the Void attacking Bastion and invading the Shadowlands. And we know that the Light did that too. The Light is the reason why Revendreth is in shambles. You go there, there is an entire Light-scarred area that will burn the denizens of the Shadowlands essentially alive, causing them to go insane. Uh, and there's a Naru there that tells you about, yeah, we came here to wage war because, you know, the crimes that, that Denathrius was committing. So we know that they they have some skin in that game too. Who knows? Uh, regardless, I have, I, and I don't say this very lightly, I have confidence that the story will be interesting and I do believe that we're going to start getting nuggets about where we're going to go. Some breadcrumbs are going to start to be laid out in this coming patch. The end of Xerath Mortis, we will have a better idea of where we're heading. And I personally cannot wait for that. Matt, any parting thoughts before we call it a day? I just think it's it's really not very long now until we actually get to like to start the process of pulling this apart. So it's definitely going to be something to look at but we don't know yet. Well, with that, folks, uh, we're going to call it a day. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And again, as a reminder, all of us at Blizzard Watch stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard and all other game companies and uh, developers out there in demanding change for a better term tomorrow in a safer work environment. Uh, also, friends, uh, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and send us in some questions. You can send them into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com or one of our various Discord channels. Make sure you tell us what show there's front it's for, and we'll be more than happy to answer them. Please send them in. We're, we're kind of running really, really late. And as one final thought, uh, I'm going to end the show as we started the show. Do yourself a favor. Go ahead and look up some dwarf cats. They're absolutely adorable. It'll make your day better. Yep. Kitties are smart. <laughs> and we'll see you next week, folks. <laughs>